As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Are you ready, kids? Get your parents' permission, check your mailbox, and grab your shopping cart. It's time for the Adventures in Collecting podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. Welcome Welcome to to Adventures Adventures in Collecting, where we talk toy news, culture, and hauls, along with our journeys as collectors. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Adventures in Collecting. Dave. Hello. Energy. I like yeah, the energy level. I brought it up a little bit today. Well, I mean, for good reason. Yeah. So as as usual, uh, you know, we, we are we're not going to run through the rigmarole of of normal things. We have we have no games to play today. We have no news to report. I am not going to bury the lead. We have a very special guest with us today. We have joining us, Dave, on the podcast. We have Steve Evans. He is the director of design and development at Marvel with Hasbro. And we are so excited, Steve, to welcome you to Adventures in Collecting. It sounds like you're really excited. You almost <laughs> sound as excited as I'm going to be chatting to you guys. This is great. I, I've, been, I've been listening and watching you and following you. And so it's finally good to meet you and uh, have a good chat, Dave and Eric. So thank you for inviting me. The pleasure is all ours. Yes, um, very much so. So before we we dive into your history with toys and and all of the interesting things that are going on at Hasbro, when we have a guest on, the first thing that we like to ask all of our guests is what are they currently collecting now or excited about? So so what is uh, I know I know you post a lot of pictures on your Instagram about your your very oh, eclectic uh, collection. So <laughs> what are what are you excited about and collecting right I now? I do I do. Listen, the whole world is in this weird situation at the moment, and I've been working from home eight nine months. So I've had to find a little outlet. So I've decided to kind of go back and and collect my childhood. And I know we've all been doing it. And everyone listening is probably doing that right now. But I, you know, I've always had my Star Wars collection. But I went back and I sat down and I started scribbling down all the things that really meant something to me as a kid or that I could remember. And I had this long list. And then I started trawling, you know, uh, auction sites and you know, ringing up friends. And I've so I've been collecting my childhood. Um, and what that's been at the moment is, you know, I've been, had great fun collecting um, Kenner's uh, Indiana Jones, Adventures of Indiana Jones from 82. I need one more of the figures for that. I need the uh, the Monkey Man from the Cairo Streets playset. So if anyone knows of one, I'm, 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 in, I'm in for it. Um, so Indy, I've been looking back at Tron. I've been getting the old Tommy Tron ones. I've been tempted by the NECA ones, but i got to keep it pure and i got to get the ones from 82 as well. So I'm doing well on that. 
And I'll tell you the one I'm really got my eye on and is incredibly expensive is the, uh, the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings figures from uh, Knickerbocker. I've, 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 I've come so close to kind of buying, buying it, but it's so expensive, but uh, I, I know I've got a lead at the moment. And if that person is listening to this, then uh, remember I'm still here, but there, so I'm just collecting weird eclectic stuff from the seventies and eighties that are, that are just, you know, part of my childhood. And I'm, I'm telling my mum, and my mum's sort of rolling her eyes, <laughs> just like, will you ever grow up? What is your problem? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's what I'm getting. And you can see it on my, uh, on Mr. Stevie 18, you can see all those pictures of all that old, weird, eclectic stuff, but I'm loving it. I, I get great satisfaction from doing it and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And, and, you know, I go down there every night usually and just have a quick, quick scout, have a look at it and, you know, remember things. But, uh, so that's what I'm off. That's what I'm into at the moment, but it's changing every week. Yeah. I have to say the thing that, that, uh, drew my attention was all of the et merchandise like the uh the battery operated light up finger (laughs) (laughs) which i also had when i was a kid and uh kenner indiana jones too yeah that's that's i love that i'd forgotten about that i didn't have many as a kid i had i think i had like the the um uh the Cairo swordsman interesting story actually i used to work with a girl uh a lady in in hasbro when i was in london when i first started julie wallace and I remember her telling me her father-in-law was the actor that played the Cairo swordsman. And, uh, and so her little grand, her son was, he was probably about four, three or four. I remember her telling him that his granddad was, um, was, was in Indiana Jones and, and the kid didn't really understand it. And I'm like, I'm like kind of starstruck. So that was a cool little story. So I remember having him and I think I didn't even have India. I think I just had the bad guys. I may have had Salah. But um, but now I'm nearly got them all, so it's 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 cool. I think I only had Indy and the mechanic. Um, no, who's the guy? In the, who's the guy? The the main bad guy, the the French, the the other. Belloc. Uh, Belloc. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. I had not only, you definitely not only had you have him. We we found He's him somewhere. when we were going when we were going through all the stuff in the basement. We've, we he was definitely he ended up in one of your bags. I feel like I had tots too. Yeah. Yeah, he was probably pretty common. He seems to be the cheapest one or the most reasonable one to get hold of. Like Belloc is difficult because he has that map. If depending on which one you've got, whether it's the regular one with his like slacks or whether it's the ceremonial one that was a mail away baggy. But I, you know, the one the one in his slacks, like you can get pretty reasonable. But I found one with a map because it's for me. And you, you know, I never keep things in the box. I always tear them. I always tear it out, even even if it's even if I have a pack and that's the only way I could get it. Not that I'm buying packaged Indiana Jones figures, you know, mint and then tearing it open. I'm not that stupid, but, um, but I, I, I have to have the little pieces. So finding the Belloc with the map, a little vinyl, it's like, it's like, it's like it's cut out of his kitchen flooring. Yeah. That little map is awesome. <laughs> I was so pleased. So those little things please me. I'm easily pleased. It's the little things in my mind that, uh, the devil is in the detail. So, so talking about all of these, uh, you know, these vintage toy lines and and things from the past, uh, let's let's go into your past. So, so how did you get into the toy industry? Blimey, I hope your podcast long because it's quite a long and windy road, but it's 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 pretty interesting, I think. Anyway, uh, so, <clears throat> um, so I, I was a, a Star Wars kid. I'll start when I was five, only <laughs> forty three years ago. Um, so when I was five. Uh, we went to America. We uh, on like a, one of our rare holidays, and and we saw I saw Star Wars in, in Man's Chinese Theater actually, and sort of the place to see it. I don't remember it much, but I remember the sound. 
and I and I remember the X wings flying over. So I had this fascination with Star Wars, and then when Empire came out, I was you know I was I was older. So I, I was a Star Wars kid. I played with the figures up until I was probably about thirteen. Then I kind of discovered girls and sort of went away from that and gave all my figures away to kids, Andrew and Christopher, who I used to babysit for. And um, they burnt them and, you know, did the usual stuff, buried them in the garden and got rid of them. And uh, and then a few years later, I kind of, I was at a, in England, we call them boot sales. Um, over here, I think you call them flea markets or kind of, uh, flea markets, is that right? Is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah, flea markets. We call them car boot sales in England. And I saw these Star Wars figures and me and my friend Simon, we, we said, oh, I remember those. They were cool. So we started buying them again for like 10 pence, you know, it's like nothing. And then I found that, that it was actually quite collectible. And I discovered um, Steve Sunsweet's uh, um, From Screen to Collectible. Is that the right? That gold and black Darth Vader book that kind of spoke about it and showed it all. And me and my friend were hooked. So anyway, we collected and we ran around car boot sales and tried to get all the figures. And then I, uh, I was studying graphic design um, at university, went to Brighton University, which is on the south coast of England, studying graphic design. And I bought and sold Star Wars figures to get me through that. That's how I made that's how I made a little bit of extra money because I didn't get much money from grants. So I used to buy and sell. And Brighton was an incredible place. It had like two two Star Wars shops, I have you know. Uh, wow. Two places you could buy Star Wars and collectible toys. So I just kind of got into the culture then. And this was back in 92 by that time, 92, 93. And I came out of college and I got a job working for a company that made uh, film posters and greetings cards and calendars and things like that. And so I was doing, you know, Independence Day posters and the Muppets and all this kind of stuff. And then I heard the news that, um, you know, Lucas George was making um, episode one. And I was very excited. And we tried to get the, um, the license for, for cards and things. And, and then a job came up at Hasbro in London. And I was like, okay, this is it. All right, I'm going to get a job at Hasbro so I can get cheap or free episode one figures because I'll be working for the company that makes them, right? I've got to do this. <laughs> so I went for the interview and I, I didn't get the job. And so I wrote them a letter back afterwards saying, look, I'm really interested. I think I can do stuff. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to, I love an op another opportunity. So anyway, another job came up, which was for a concept designer. So that was a designer that would do new product ideas, packaging, graphics, marketing, anything. It was almost like a little bit of a renter brain for a creative, renter creative. Anyway, they called me back and said, hey, come back and have an interview. So I went back and I got the job in the end. So I started off there in 99. So it was literally the year episode one came out. And I've been at Hasbro ever since. So I've, I've, I, as I said, I was graphic design. So I started packaging. So I, I ran Action Man packaging, if you remember those listeners that remember the British action man and um, you know, the GI Joe equivalent. And then we moved into atom alpha teams on machines in sort of like midnights. I did all the packaging and we did a show with Disney and Jetix. If any of you remember Jetix, the cable uh, station and we did a, an atom uh, TV show. And I was really intrigued by this idea of creating characters and story and branding that was agnostic. That was like, um, for show, for TV, for video games. And we did all that. So then I sort of moved away from packaging and into branding. And that's what I mean by branding. It's like helping to define what a brand means, the stories behind it, the characters, the graphic assets. So I used to make style guides. And so I worked on Action Man and Atom for a while. I then did some work on Monopoly, rebranding that. And then that's when Hasbro um, set up their hub TV um, cable channel. 
and also was starting to work with people uh, like Paramount and uh, talking to Universal about, you know, bringing movies. So um, Transformers and Battleship and other things that didn't come off the ground. So I was doing that as well, helping to translate what a brand meant into different things. And that was the point where they said, well, if you want to do that, you've got to come to America. So I up sticks and my wife, Helen, and my uh, two kids, uh, my three kids, sorry, <laughs> three kids, I have three kids, uh, Sam. But to be fair, I have two twin girls as well. So I had Sam and I have two twin girls, Beth and Sophia, and we all went to America. I did some um, load of work on TV and movie. And then um, we, we sort of set up a proper studio and then I moved on to doing a uh, producing for app design. So I worked with Sesame Street, doing a lot of preschool app design. Um, and then what did I do? Then I did some more branding and I helped set up some the packaging and branding departments with Hasbro. And then I got the call from uh, my the guy I was working with at Hasbro. He said, hey, would you like to, do you want to run Star Wars from a product point of view? <laughs> and I remember, I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I know nothing about plastic, like zero. Like I couldn't tell you the difference between PVC and ABS and all that jazz. And he was like, yeah, I know. Well, you've got people that know all that. We just want someone that can kind of think about story and brand and meaning and, and, and just kind of tell stories and help construct a new idea for all these new movies they're making. This is obviously be the, the, the sequels. Um, so how could I say no? I'd spent like 40 years nearly trying to get into Hasbro and massive lover of Star Wars. So I did that for five, five years or so. Then I did some work on CP and now I'm back on to Marvel. They brought me back into CP, sorry, as consumer products. So I did, I helped sort of do style guides for all our brands. So that's when um, I was working with, uh, with Lenny a little bit when he, we were kicking off GI Joe and, you know, did some Transformers and Nerf and all the style guides that help other companies that aren't Hasbro make other products based on our, on our franchise brands, Transformers, Pony, all that kind of stuff. But then I, you know, uh, beginning of the year, they invited me back into um, toy and they said, how'd you like to do some superhero stuff? So I was like, yeah, why not? So that's my story. It's a very meandering tale, but it's, um, it's 21 years of um, being at Hasbro. And sometimes I, I catch myself and say, wow, you've been there a long time. Is that too long? What else can you do? And, I'm, and then I, I very quickly answer myself and say, what am I talking about? I don't need to do anything else. This is, I've never been bored ever. And I'm one that if I get bored, I move on very quickly. But, you know, I know this isn't a sort of a Hasbro commercial, but um, they're really good to me. They give you a lot of opportunity to try new things. They take chances. They took a chance on me with Star Wars, you know, didn't know anything about plastic. So I'm very grateful to them. and. Uh, yeah, every day is new and exciting. You have some stressful days, but uh, as I said at the beginning, when we were chatting before we went on air, it's like we do what we love. We're like, there's not not much to complain about. Well, listen, you took twenty plus years of uh, of experience and like distilled it down to seven minutes. I would say that's pretty. <laughs> that was pretty concise. That was, that was for for a story that I was prepared to be meandering. You you were you were really concise at that. So, oh, well, thank you. So, so cheers to that. Cheers. Um, to that. But yeah, I mean, Hasbro has been one of those companies, especially now during, you know, all of the, the, the pandemic and like the pandemic response to everything, the level of transparency coming from toy makers in general 
but especially Hasbro with like the Fan First Friday events and you know uh, these roundtable calls that are happening. It's it really is incredible the amount of access that you guys are giving to us, the collectors, and that's it's so appreciated. Like that, it. I, I hope you guys know how what effect you're having on the entire collecting base by doing this. So it it, it is great what you guys are doing. It, it really is. Yeah, and, and uh, thank you, thank you for that. And I'm and I'm sure everyone from the Hasbro people that will hear this will will thank you as well. And and you know I've been harping on for a long, long time about conversation. And anyone that's spoken to me or seen interviews, I often bring up that word, and I think it's very important. And conversation is always two way. You've got to speak and then listen. So the idea of you know, Fan First Fridays, and I know we have the comments in that, and they whiz by at like a million miles an hour. You know, I know we find opportunities to do things like this, which is important. Um, you know, it's I want to be authentic. You know, you know these we're a large corporation, we're a large company, and we we make X amount of whatever dollars. And but at the inside, we genuinely are toy fans. We're generally just designers and creatives and people that just love toys and. To be able to talk about things that we love is is really important to us. It makes us feel good. It's 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 job satisfaction, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I'm I'm very grateful to the PR team that they let us do more or more of this. And you know we have to be careful because you know our partners have you know incredible properties you know that are stories to be told in a particular way. So that is why you know you'll often find us you know being careful, but where we can, we'll we'll talk about things and. Um, and share the passion for for toy collecting and movies and fandom in general. You know, we we, we love talking about it. Yeah, and that that love kind of goes back far with us. Like we were just talking about the Indiana Jones toys. You know, my first ones were uh, the Return of the Jedi too for Star Wars. And I know Eric um, grew up with those Power of the Force ones that you were talking about with the episode um, leading up to the episode ones. Um, yeah. So. You know, you've you've worked with Star Wars. Um, now you're with Marvel. So you've worked with two of the, the hottest toy IPs out there um, <laughs> rather recently. As popular as they are, how is working with them different? I'll be honest, they're not that different. They're not that different. And and, and you know, there there are different stories and there are a lot more, you know, Marvel put out a lot more movies than, than Lucasfilm traditionally do. And uh that's different, you know, the amount of work or the amount of properties that we have to kind of think about and shift minds and think about different characters and different approaches and tones is different when we're when we're creating, whether it's, you know, preschool, you know, core kid, which is like six to nine year olds, or a fan business, which can be, you know, twelve plus twelve to how old are we? 48, 50, 60. Um, but the fandom themselves aren't that different. They're very similar. You know, they they have a lot of passion. There's a lot of heritage there. You know, they're both um they're both pretty old i know marvel's a little you know marvel's older but you know there's there's heritage there uh you know there's the fans are very passionate they're very knowledgeable they have high expectations you know they they're very vocal they speak what they want and they complain and, and tell us when we're not doing something right which is fine you know i absolutely i do not mind that at all um i often use the phrase the good bad and the ugly i said tell me the good the bad and the ugly um, I need it all because that's the only way that anyone's going to grow, and it's the only way we're going to do things better. Um, so they're not that they're not that different. They 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 wear t-shirts with their stuff on. They 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 know all the <laughs> they know all the names. They know more than I do, you know. Um, and they're they're very loud and proud, and that's great. So um, and that's a boring answer, but they're not that much different. But but and that, and that's why 
you know, when you think about collecting and fandom, it is, it is all the same. And I, I was saying this the other day, you know, they're all the same. It's a, it's a basic human need. You know, the fact that we collect, you know, the idea of collecting or, and, and that can be collecting knowledge as well. You know, being a fan is this need to feel in control. It's, it's a need to feel a part of something that's bigger than you. Um, it's a need for memories. It's a need for nostalgia. It's a need for emotions and stories. It's important. It's like, it's a way of being loved. And I know I'm getting very deep here, but I truly believe that, you know, that's why I do it. That's why I just told you, I just, I kind of, I'm collecting all these things from my childhood. Why? Why? It's probably because I'm in a you know, midlife crisis. I'm 48. And I, I want to remember those simpler times and those times where, you know, experiences were new and I can look at nearly all of my toys and, and, talk about an experience or or a memory that was that informed me you know that made me who i am good or and bad and uh collecting and fandom i think does that it 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 satisfies a human need which everyone needs and you know some people don't collect and well they're not fans they do other things but for us in our dna all of us that love toys and fans that that's that's the way we express it yeah that's why you know it's one of the things that uh dave and i talk about pretty frequently you know that kind of thinking of that you know the, the old uh, uh you know stereotype of like you know like oh the the nerds that you know collect toys and you know read comic books and stuff like that and then you have like the jocks that are into sports and you know are sports fans and everything and i i love that you know as we've kind of progressed as a, as a culture those two things there are so many people now you know us included that like we're huge soccer fans were huge huge baseball fans were huge uh hockey fans but like i'm sitting currently surrounded by dozens of action figures at my desk you know like it's it is that that culture of belonging and i i think you're absolutely right you know it's something that many of us as as human nature we you know we crave to be a part of yeah exactly and as i say we're no different you know look at all those cliques that you know that you typically see in kind of like movies and TV shows where you got the jocks, you got the nerds, you got the geeks, you got the kind of the 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 the, the super intelligent ones. I don't know what you call those, the speckies. It's all the same. It's just people satisfying their human need, but in a different way. And if you peel it away, it's it's all the same. I mean, it's a it's a trope. You know, it's a story trope that, but it's true. It absolutely is true. That's where tropes and cliches come from. Kind of truth. Yep, they they have to show up somewhere first, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so one of the things that uh, that Hasbro has done to kind of do something extra special for for you know the fan base um, is is through the crowdfunding platform that you know you guys have developed at the Haslab. Yeah. Um, and you now have been a part of a few of those very successful campaigns in in the uh, the Katana, the Jabba Sail Sail Barge, uh, the the Sentinel, and and the Razor Crest. Um, with so many different IPs and brands underneath kind of that Hasbro umbrella, how do you guys determine who, who gets the next project? You know, like, how, like how, like, is it like, do you, do you just put a bunch of straws in a cup and then you got to like, how, like no, we, we, we have an arm wrestling match, but um, we were going to have arm wrestling, but unfortunately every, every, uh, every has that would be a GI Joe one. Cause Lenny is just huge. <laughs> <laughs> he would just be it. So we went, no, 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 Lenny, we're not going to do arm wrestling. We're going to do something else. No, it's, I don't think there is really a, a formula as such. I mean, every, every team, you know, we're all in, we're all in separate teams. So we have a Marvel team, you know, GI Joe team and, and Star Wars team, Transformers, Pony, you know, all that. 
And we're always thinking about HasLab because it's such a great new for us, like really new way of bringing kind of dream items to fans that otherwise we'd find really difficult to give them, whether it's, you know, um, size, you know, in terms of putting that on a shelf in a, in a store is really difficult, or it's like obscurity, you know, something kind of like, what, what's that, you know, but these dream items, these big dream items, um, it's really exciting. So everybody has ideas for them. Like I'm sure I, I know there are lots and lots and lots and lots of ideas that we have. And there's probably even more and more ideas than the, the, each individual, you know, uh, property fans of the properties have like if i sat down with gi joe fans and say what, what do you want for Haslabs?" they'll have tons and tons and tons so there really isn't it's it's really about what's what's resonating with the fans what we think makes sense from a storytelling point of view and i mean by that is like what's what's the right thing to do at this point in time with our partners you know we're not just going to throw anything out, out uh, throw anything out there that doesn't make sense but um so you know we're still still learning we're still evolving you know and we've learned lots of new tricks like the barge was the first one and we cut our teeth on that and that was that was there was a lot of fun but that was a roller coaster ride i'm not going to lie to you it was like are we going to make it are we not oh goodness me we've got oh we got to promote it. Oh, we didn't do unlocks. We did. We gave away like yak face, but we didn't do unlocks. Okay, next time we do it, we got to do unlocks. So um, we're still learning, and um, but there is friendly competition between teams. You know, like you know, we did really well. Like the barge made it. You know, we had we you know we had. Uh, um, oh God, what's the Transformers on? I'm sorry, Transformers. Un- Unicron. 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 Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know that made it um sentinel did really well and then the razor crest came in and kind of like blew us out the water so this is little sort of like yeah well we've got to come up with something that's going to beat that now so that's fun and that really only benefits the fans to be honest with you because everyone's trying to outdo each other but um uh i can't there isn't there is no kind of real formula and there's certainly no drawing of straws (laughs) (laughs) or arm wrestling lenny because i think i think i could take him yeah he's a Lenny's a for uh, uh, a fellow uh, New New Jersey native, so like we understand. I I, I wouldn't want to arm wrestle against another guy no, from New Jersey he, either. And so. to be honest with you, he is the he's got he's the most heartfelt bloke I think I've ever worked with. <laughs> that guy. We I mean we worked together when we kicked off the GI Joe Classified. We were working together on that for a little while before I before I kind of moved off toy. And uh, I I kind of hadn't kind of worked with him before, and I'd seen him and spoken to him a couple of times, and he's always a bit intimidating because he's massive. This guy. And it, it took about 10 minutes of actually sitting down with him and him just explaining to me kind of what he loved and what he was trying to do and what he believed in, in terms of toy and play and collecting. And I was like, ah, oh, you're super, super heartfelt. So I love him. I do love him. I love you, Lenny. Thank you. <laughs> now you mentioned the um, adding the unlocks to the future uh, HasLab projects after, after the barge. Um, so you saw something we saw something like the Sentinel that was so successful that um it surpassed the planned unlocks and I believe the Razor Crest did as well. Um how do you come up with additional ones to reward fan fervor? Now, you've made some assumptions there that they weren't all planned. <laughs> you said <laughs> you got to remember, as I keep saying it time and time again, it's all about story and story is about revealing and turning corners. So most of them Nearly all of them. I'm just. I don't know the Razor Crest that much. I wasn't involved in that. But uh, as I understand it, they're all, most of it's all planned. 
Like we again, we have loads and loads of unlocks designed, and we kind of select them which one makes the most sense, which one makes sense when we reveal them in order. You know, you got to do highs and lows. You got to do things that people will go, "Oh my god!" And then the next one's something different. And then we hit them again. Um, so they're all they're all pretty much planned um, from from the very beginning. Um, well, we fell for it. Hook, hook. You got us hook, line, and sinker. And you don't know quite where you're going to get to. So some of them are a little more planned than others. Let me tell you that. Let's say that then. Like we we think, well, we might get there. So you know, don't do as much work on that, getting that ready. But um, no, it's all. That was one thing that Barge taught us. It was like, no, we got to, we got to, the barge stretched it out for 45 days because we didn't know whether we were going to make it. So there was lots of ups and downs. Are we going to make it? Are we not? But, you know, now that people understand that HasLab is A, there and B, what it really is, and they understand, you know, when you get charged and all that kind of stuff, people are more inclined, or, you know, evidently they're kind of, they're up right for it and there's better promotions and we're revealing it at better times. So we, we, we make our 6,000 or whatever it's going to be pretty quick so then it's a question of like okay how do we keep engaging people and seeing can we give them more for the same price i have you know <laughs> it's like you yeah. know it's like if you make six thousand we make we make six thousand we don't you know we don't we, it's it's it, all the all the unlocks are are extras which is a which is a great thing and i love i love giving those away so you know, twenty 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 has been a very strange and unprecedented year for for all of us. But one of the things that has been kind of uh, really exciting again, we we mentioned the Fan First Fridays, but um, uh, Dwight, Dan, and Ryan's uh, bits on on all of the Marvel <laughs> reveals have been kind of like joy of joys uh, this year. Um, and one of the things that the Marvel team revealed, which was something that I think a lot of collectors a never thought would happen and and b were super excited for was the the fox x-men figures yeah um so tell us a little bit about how that actually happened like how you were able to get that done uh this year well i wasn't on the team when that kind of got sorted out so i didn't have sort of first-hand knowledge but i did just connect with dwight a little bit before this and said dwight like i'm gonna guess that you know because uh, you know, uh, um, Marvel acquired, uh, Disney acquired Fox that that made that a lot easier. Right. And he was like, well, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, you know what? He said, you know, I was so excited. Cause like, cause Dwight is a huge Wolverine fan, huge yes. Wolverine fan. And he's <laughs> been wanting to do a huge Jackman figure for years. And so when that happened, he was like, I wanted to do the Hugh Jackman figure. I rang up Jesse and said, Hey man, Fox is under your umbrella. Can we do this? And it was like, yeah, of course we can. So that's kind of how it happened. It wasn't, it wasn't any sort of, um, you know, twilight deals or any kind of like smuggling going on. It was like, okay, Disney, Disney acquired Fox. And now we, we that's, that's easy to do. So we did it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where like when you see, as a collector right when you see news uh, about you know intellectual properties being acquired and kind of like things changing hands uh, i know like for me as, as star wars makes up the the lion's share of my collection you know when i'm watching a new episode of mandalorian and like you know i see ming na wen's uh character come up and i'm like oh and now i need a fennec figure <laughs> <laughs> you know like i just kind of i i have always thought of things and like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder when I'm going to get that action figure or like, I wonder when they're going to make this one. It's, and it's great with all the MCU 
you know, Marvel stuff, you're sitting there watching a movie and you're like, oh, Star-Lord's got a different length jacket on in this movie. I wonder if they're going to make another <laughs> This is what I think about fans, you know, they're the same. Like, we'll, we can never, we can never satiate the need for different characters and as, you know, as all the movies and, you know, Mandalorian's done an incredible job of kind of putting new characters out there that, that are really intriguing and like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So, I, I do feel sorry for, for 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 myself and for my team and for the other other teams of of kind of uh, you know super pop culture um, super pop culture properties just to try and keep up with demand. It's that, that's hard. It's hard, but uh, it's a good problem to have. I'd rather that than no one want anything. <laughs> <laughs> now um, we talked about long time collecting many times throughout the. Um... The episode thus far i certainly go back a long time so you see figures like you know kenner superpowers in the past and secret wars yeah. um which are two things that i absolutely collected um when i was a child so we have something new that's kind of along those lines um which are the three and three quarter marvel legends figures that um are on their way out or that are still up for pre-order i believe um so tell us a little bit about those and how those came to be so that was so that was interesting. I think it was literally my first day on the Marvel team back at the beginning of the year, and I sat down with Dwight, and I'd known Dwight for a while before. And I said to him, "I said, so what's new? What what's what's cooking? I know you do Marvel Legends. I assume you're doing that, but like, what's new?" And he's like, "Well, we got these kind of weird, wacky kind of idea that, um, you know, we want to get a, a, a we want to get a newer price point in, like a ten buck price point." And, um, you know, retro is big and huge. And I just come from consumer products and I've been doing style guides and everything was retro. You know, it's all retro. So retro is the rise of retro. Retro is here because people need to feel comfortable and, and kind of nostalgic. And he said, well, we've got this idea of doing these kind of three and three quarter inch, five, five point, seven point points of articulation figures of like the sort of old school comic Marvel heroes. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then he goes, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to do them sort of like in Kenner style. And, you know, I, may, I haven't been a Kenner boy for like all my life. I was like, what do you mean, Kenner? They didn't do well. <laughs> they didn't do that. What? And he said, no, no, no. Well, it's just like we figured we could put, we can make it in a Kenner style because like it's just, there is a look, there is a look to Kenner and there is, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's quite blocky in terms of it hasn't got a big triangular waist it's not super exaggerated it's quite sort of humanist looking and the way they sculpted and the way it's put together i chatted to lots of sculptors that worked upon kenner and they explained to me why they did it and you know breaks and kind of molds mold patterns and engineering restrictions that created the kenner look and i was like okay so i, I kind of walked away and i was like mm, that's weird and i thought about it and i kind of like looked back and, and i realized like okay let me think about this okay so kenner so kenner went into uh um uh, what was it called superpowers um yeah uh superpowers is that right yeah yeah they yeah. went for, they went four and a half inch superpowers in like 1984 and then marvel uh, mattel went into secret wars that was four and a half so it would have to be before 1984 or, or Kenner would never do it three and three quarter inch. Okay. So I went, look back and I went, okay, so Star Wars Empire, Jedi, Jedi was 83. Indy was eight, was 82 and they'd started doing knee joints and features. They had sprung arms. I said, but the Star Wars, they didn't do any features because they kept the continuity between Star Wars Empire and, 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 and Jedi. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so if we were doing five point articulated three and three quarter inch figures and they were Kenner, they would have to be, 
prior to 82. So around 80, 81 would make sense. Then I look back and I thought, okay, so Mingo, they were doing some Marvel stuff in their Pocket Heroes. Um, they they were rounding into trouble around that time. They went out of business in 83. So theoretically, around that time, 81, 82, if Kenner got the license for Marvel, that would be how it looked. They would do they would do five point articulated. They may or may not have done extra features and stuff, but that okay. All right, as a Kenner, as a Kenner purist, I was like, yeah. I think that could work. I, I like that. That's kind of cool. So it is absolutely the biggest what if story that there is. And so that really excites me. And then I saw the designs, you know, we were talking with, with Dwight and talking with Jesse and saying, okay, now what are the, what are the points of Kenner? You know, okay. So I spoke about the triangular of the, of the torso and there's certain, the way the, the faces were decorated and kind of the way it's kind of constructed. So we kind of agreed that, that these these could fit in these could fit under the Kenner umbrella and they'd be fresh and new and different and we'd you know they'd appeal to hardcore fans that know the history as a sort of a, a weird what if and they could also appeal to casual fans because they just look cool they just look super wacky and very kind of on trend and retro so we may get some new collectors in because you know I, I talk about the big collector community but that I want that to live on. You know, I don't want that to die with me. I, 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 we need, you know, the fledglings. We need, we need people like me, forty odd years ago, that were kind of trying to scrape around car boot sales to find figures that they kind of loved or, or to buy and sell and get intrigued by this. So we need that next generation, and, and this is a way of doing it from a price point, from an aesthetic point of view. Um, so I think it, 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 it answers a lot of needs, and it kind of gives some different options and it, it makes collecting a little less intimidating. You know, you go into legends and like there's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of figures and it's like, that's intimidating for some people. So I, I'm always a fan of, of allowing people into collecting wherever we can. So that is, that, that's basically Marvel legends, you know, retro three, seven, five. It's, it's a, what if story, it's a good price point. They're fun to look at. And selfishly, they fit perfectly in the uh, in the memory shelf right next to the Star Wars figures because they look like they're from the same people. So I can have my Star Wars, I can have my indie, and now I can have my Marvel. So, it I mean, it, it's fantastic. That's that scale though is f- at least at least for me, and and I, I think probably mostly for you too, right, Dave? Like that that is kind of like the scale, and and that's coming from somebody who you know I have a lot of like the. NECA seven inch figures. I have a lot of the Diamond Select seven inch figures. I have the all of the six inch Ghostbusters, a ton of, you know, Marvel Legends and McFarlane figures and everything. But like to me, the figures that speak to me most are those three and three quarter, four inch figures. So like, you know, the I the idea that you guys are continuing, you know, Hasbro's continuing, you know, the the retro Star Wars line with the new Mandalorian figures in the style yeah. of like the seventy eight figures. I mean, like, oh my god, that's just that is the coolest. Like that yeah. is, you could because now you have, you know, you may have this generation gap, but you have these figures that are in the same scale that fit with each other. That like you can have the you know as a, as a kid, just thinking with like a kid brain, you know, you can have the adventure of a lifetime with figures that make sense with each other, and anytime you put anything into that three and three quarter scale you immediately broaden your horizons there because you have this legacy of figures that are in that scale where you can have the 
you know, the adventure of a lifetime. So like, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And there are fans out there that, you know, came into kind of toys, you know, in the nineties where we had more sort of four and a half inch and six inch and stuff like that. So who knows what we're going to do in the future, but you know, nostalgia and retro tugs on our heartstrings. And, uh, and I, I think it's, I just think it's fun, just fun to kind of go back and play around with it a little bit. It's good fun. Yeah, they remind me of, you know, what I played with when I was when I was a kid. So, you know, the Star Wars figures, the Indiana Jones figures, um, you know, Superpowers, Secret Wars, G.I. Joe, like that was roughly all the same size. So for me, these are just like just completely hitting on that nostalgia vibe. And like you mentioned, too, that with retro kind of being everywhere, like even in the Marvel Legends figures, like the retro packaging on, you know, like the the, yeah. the 90s Toy Biz inspired packaging that's been coming out for like the Doctor Doom that came out this year, the, that whole Spider-Man wave, which is like wild, each figure wildly popular. You know, it's it is it is comforting to see those the, those color palettes, to see them on pegs. Yeah, it's yeah, just X-Men it, it's. It really does pull on your heartstrings, doesn't it? It's weird, isn't it? And, and listen, it's retros everywhere, as you said. You know, it's in fashion. You know, it's even in automobiles. You can see the way they're being designed, and they're even re-releasing. Like I think it's the Ford Bronco or something. They released like yeah, retro yeah, everywhere. It won't be around forever. You know, the trends will change. I am sure everything will change. So <laughs> make the most of it. It's like you know, it's just if retro sings to you, then this is the time, you know, get involved and, and grab those things. Cause you know, who knows what's going to, what, what's going to be popular in five years time. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. So we do have some questions from our, uh, our Instagram followers, but we have one more for you before we jump into that. Sure. Um, with your career spanning, as long as it has, you know, through Hasbro, you have worked on countless projects. Um, what mm-hmm. was the most challenging project or specific item that you worked on and why? Oh, God, the whole the whole time. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm not going to talk about some of the ones that didn't go right in terms of like being really challenging because I can't talk about those ones. But I, I, I do think, <laughs> and I know I keep going back to the barge, but I think that is, if, if I could pick an item at this point in time, that I can talk about um, that that sort of epitomized or the sort of pinnacle of my career in terms of effort. <laughs> Let's say that like effort <laughs> and love, and it was definitely the barge. I mean, that was you know, the barge was the first one. Um, Joan Navaji and myself. I wouldn't say we started Haslab, but like we were certainly proponents of like we got to make this thing. How are we going to make it? And like the brilliant people at, uh, at Hasbro kind of helped us, and you know, finance and marketing and and the digital team all kind of came together. And said, "All right, let's give it a go. We'll try it out." And we didn't know that it was going to work. You know, it's just like it's a big, it's a big kick. It's a it's a big punt, and it was very different for us. You know, we hadn't done sort of crowdfunding uh, type model before so it's very 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 different and then you know we launched it at toy fair and we kind of announced it and i remember just i remember people coming up to me just in tears and just kind of like hugging me and i was like wow this really means something to a lot of people because you know the barge has been spoken about for years and it's always a bit of a joke it's like oh you'll they'll never make the barge it's just too big it's ridiculous and I was like, well, we better, we better not fail. We better not. I hope this doesn't fail. Because, <laughs> like, like we, we've just handed this massive olive branch to a very 
you know, a very vocal part of the fandom. You know, these 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 guys that are in vintage collection were like, like, like this is great, this is incredible, and and a long time coming, and let, let's make it. And you know, the fans made up their own, um, you know, websites and social sites and and fan kits and posters, and they did it all themselves. And you know, I tried here and there on my little Instagram, and we did it obviously on on on. Um, on the pulse and we pushed it and it did it sort of went off really quick and then it sort of faltered and kind of slowed down and we were like oh my goodness oh my goodness and just just the pressure in hoping it would work and knowing there wasn't really a lot we could do about it you know it, it wasn't like it's all in the fans it's like if you want to back it you'll back it i can't negotiate with people we can't sort of like um it's not like trying to sell something to a retailer um but it pretty much followed the 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 expect not the expected but the average trajectory of a funded project reasonably well um but it was very nerve-wracking and um i just remember uh i just remember when it passed that six thousand number it was just such a relief <laughs> and it was really pleased because you know if that you know who knew who knew what would happen if that didn't if that didn't work so you know, I thank everybody that backed. I thank everyone that backed everything, you know, every 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 Haslab item, but in particular the barge because it was it was you lot that opened the door really for us to do new and cool stuff with with Haslab. Um, doesn't work without the fans. Doesn't work without being backed and funded. And I know there are things that we need to deal with and that we need to solve, and and we're still growing and still evolving. Um, but the fact that we had two great successes recently with the Sentinel and the Razor Crest is uh, very, very exciting. I, I, I'm not going to lie; it's I, I'm glad to be back in in that area and arena just to kind of be part of it, you know. Albeit, you know, sort of somewhat in the background, you know, Dwight, Dwight, um, Ryan, and Dan are, are brilliant, brilliant ambassadors for Marvel, and they do a cracking job with everything and uh, so it's really nice to kind of sit back a little bit and watch them and I, I kind of tinker and tickle here and there where i needed to but um well i would definitely say that was probably my most challenging stressful and ultimately most rewarding um, project that i've worked on so i i have i have to admit so i i live you know in a, a smaller house you know i have my wife and i now have a, i have a five-year-old now and in a, in a few weeks i will have a, a newborn oh congratulations um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, Dave, Dave will be in Uncle Times too. Um, I assume you have a barge thing, so you've got your crib sorted out. Yeah. So that's great. Well, so that was that was what I was going to say. So back oh, when I spoiled your joke. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all right. But back when when the barge was up, I had actually made a you know, like I said, the, the lion's share of my collection is three and three quarter inch Star Wars figures. That's that's my my bread and butter. So I had actually made a deal with my wife, and I was like, listen, this is this barge is a lot of money. I have nowhere that it, we could possibly display it. <laughs> but I cannot be the reason this thing doesn't get funded. So if it is not, if it has not reached its its goal by the end, I will be I will be sitting there at eleven fifty eight, ready to click the back button. And I, I just remember feeling two things when when I saw you know the ha following hashtag back the barge and everything. Um, when I saw that it had passed, two things happened. I breathed a huge sigh of relief. Because I was like, oh, thank God, all these people are going to get this. This is amazing. Like, huge win for the, the team and the community and everything. And then my second one was like, oh, but now this means I'm not going to get one because I made a deal. <laughs> but I did get the Razor Crest. That, yeah, that, I was not missing that one. So you um, didn't get the barge? 
I didn't get a barge. No, oh. I didn't. I didn't. And I, you know, it, it's one of those things. Like it is, it is easily one of my my big regrets that I did not go in on that. And, Dude, if I had another one, I'd give you one. You know, me giving away barges and Haslab stuff. I I would I would never even dream to ask. Well, I have one you can have that's signed by everybody on the ticket. No, you can't have that one. No, <laughs> no. That, one, that is that is probably the most special barge there is, and it, it is right where it belongs. Display. <laughs> oh, who knows? Um, maybe maybe one day someone someone listening to this who's a, you know I'm all about giving uh, this holiday period. If you've got a spare one, <laughs> you know where to over. find me. And um, yeah, but then I'll also need a place to to sleep. Um, <laughs> and and, You've got a and relocate, you know, you'll be awake all the time, just looking at it or feeding a newborn. <laughs> all right. So let's move into these. We have a couple of questions from our, our Instagram community. Cool. Uh, we put up a story. They, they threw some questions, uh, your way. Um, are you ready for a challenge? Yeah. Let's see how many sidesteps I can do. And I'll do my, right. very best. I promise that, that I'll give you I, I I promise you won't have to have like proper dancing shoes on. Like we'll. we'll <laughs> Why have we done this there. figure? When's that figure coming out? I promise you, there you there is none of that. All right, this one is a process question. So this yeah. one comes from at oh man at rip roaring at rip oh, yeah. roaring. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the timeline when it comes to the ideation of a figure to when it hits the shelves? And has this process gotten faster over time? <laughs> yes, it has. It's had to. Um, traditionally, when I kind of landed in Star Wars um, back in like 94, 95, uh, 94, 95, what am I talking about? 14, 15. Um, it was about 18 months. Like if someone said, hey, let's do this, then we would um, you know, research it, get the assets, draw up input turns submit it to Lucasfilm or in this case, you know, Marvel, they would say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And then we would get sculpting and we would take X number of weeks to sculpt that. And then we would bring it back and check in. And is that good? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Now deco, how are we going to put deco? What are the ops? How many have we got? What colors are they? Checking back, checking back, checking back till we got it approved. And then it would actually go into manufacturing where we would then start making tools, these big hulking, you know, steel tools that we'd have to make and produce. And then we'd get the factory line set up. And then we would start, we would do like some first shots in those kind of weird and wacky colored plastics that you that you see. And we'd check it and then we'd have an engineering prototype and we would check it and then they would make others and we'd move it down. Then they would make it properly and then we would do packaging and then they would get it packed and then it would be stored and it would be put on a ship for three weeks to sail around the world. And then it would eventually get into distribution centers in all the different countries. And then guys with trucks would drive it to the store, put it on the shelf. So about 18 months originally. And we're now working a lot quicker and... Um, you know, sometimes we can get it down to like 12 months, um, but it's any time between there and it is getting quicker because, you know, we're digitally sculpting now, you know, we don't do it in wax anymore. So that's a lot easier to send around the world for people to check. So there's digital there. We're even working on digital deco now where we're kind of painting things in ZBrush, you know, live. And so people can start seeing colors and things and we're using those to render those out. And, and remember, we've been in a pandemic lockdown for like a lot of time. So we've had, it's almost been a catalyst for us to improve digital um, use, digital processes. So the ability to kind of create a, a sculpt, paint it digitally and then render it out for photography because, you know, it's been difficult to take photographs of things because we haven't had physical things and we haven't had things shipping in. So 
this whole kind of last eight, nine months has been a real catalyst for doing things differently and faster. And we've, we've also had to do it faster because, you know, the movie making process, although it's, you know, it's, it's been in a little bit of a hiatus at the moment is, is quicker, is faster. You know, we're, we're seeing movies, we're seeing equally uh, good production values in streaming shows. So the whole, the whole landscape is changing in terms of storytelling and we've got to get quicker as well. So um, that's my answer. That was a, that wasn't even a side step. That was a head head first dive in. So there you go. <laughs> Hope that helped. So the next one it is from um, Creepy NJ at Creepy NJ, a friend of the show. Um, so this <laughs> one's more of a kind of I'll say wish list question. So fans are always requesting random obscure characters. If you could see one obscure Marvel character come to the Legends line. Who would it be and why? Now, the annoying thing is I'm going to say one. It's probably in the line because I, I just don't know the line that well yet. It's so many, many of them. I am, uh, I do have one and I bet he's been done. I bet he's been, well, you guys will be able to probably tell me. Um, I, I actually a big fan of Guardians of the Galaxy, the Jim Valentino comic from back in like 91. I think that kicked off. And so, um, I had a little, I had a little bit of a thing, for, not a thing for Vance Astro, but a little bit. Like I just loved his costume, that sort of that sort of black and white, and it was sort of he's kind of Captain America, but he's not. He's kind of cool. So I think someone from like Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe him or like the original Yondu, I used to really like as well. Um, I don't know if that's obscure, and I don't even know if we've done it before. So Dwight, if you get to listen to this and you think, Steve, you idiot, we've done that already, then I apologize. But uh, well, I Steve, I have. I have good news for you. What? If, if you have if you have eighteen dollars, you can buy him right now from Walmart. What? Who? Van, uh, Vance Astro. Really? Yeah, he was part. He was part of the uh, <laughs> Titus build a figure line for the Guardians film. So there you go. You can have your wish list today. Oh, is it the one in? So I'm going to try and kind of wriggle out of this because I just look sounds stupid. But is it? No, um, not at all. Is it is it is it the one with his kind of skin tight cool outfit, or is it the one with the really weird bandana and the trench coat? Because if it's, the, I, I wanted the other one. <laughs> it, it's it's the it's the skin tight metallic blue and white outfit with the with the cap shield. That is the one I kind of wanted. Never mind. Also, I wanted the uh, the bandana one with the trench coat that he had, which was weird. But that's that's a that's an older that's an older wave. So you know it's but that's a that's a that's definitely a good pull. And plus, like you know, you one of the things that's so cool about the the Marvel Legends wave or Mar- Marvel excuse me Marvel Legends line is that these characters have so many different iterations over the years. So many different artists yeah. have tackled them. You know, sometimes these characters are based off of like a cover variant that was done on one issue of a comic just because the, the, the aesthetic of that version is so good. So like maybe, maybe this is a character that, uh, that, that Dwight could revisit for you somewhere down (laughs) the line. Maybe you could, maybe you could. All right. And the last question we have for you from our, uh, from our Instagram. Sure. Uh, this one comes from at Darth Don data. Um, with the toy photography community growing at such a rapid pace, do you guys ever consider contracting work for promotional or box art? Uh, we've spoken about that a lot, and I, I have an incredible respect for uh, toy photographers. You know, there's a whole, there's kind of like a, a, a gaggle of ones that I kind of know pretty well, and uh, they do incredible work. And uh, we're always looking for new ways of, of, um, of, 
profiling and highlighting their work. And we've done stuff with them, whether it's Hasbro Toy Pick, and you know, we'll we'll occasionally do. You know, I know Stephen did a load of uh, posters and things like that. So yeah, I, that's that's certainly not out of the question. That's not out of the question at all. And I and I I accept and respect that it's moved on from a purely from a pure hobby to something that they're actually making a craft of and they should, they should make an income from it. They should, they should make it a career. And so, yeah, I fully support that. But um, as in no, no plans that I know of at the moment to, to do that, but then I wouldn't tell you anyway, if I, if I knew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's been for, at least for us in terms of, uh, you know, engaging with the community and kind of, growing awareness and everything embracing toy photography has been one of not only the more fun aspects for us to try to participate in like you know learning from what these other you know artists are doing with the figures and yeah. you know the way that they're manipulating them and you know even in that uh on on disney plus the, the marvel 616 yeah. show watching the 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 profile on on mitchell Wu. Yeah. i mean it is just what these guys do with these figures is just it yeah. is unbelievable but who knows? I, I wouldn't. I would. I would never say never that we wouldn't kind of arrive at a packaging solution or something like that where we would we would use we would use uh, toy photographers. I mean, we have people that photograph toys, so I'm all for doing that and crediting it. But um, we shall see. Okay, Steve. We have our last question of mm-hmm. the evening. Um, and this is one we ask everybody um, as the last question of the evening um, when they're a guest. So before you go. Yeah. Our last question is, what is your favorite and or strangest piece in your collection? Hmm. Which child do I like the best? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Which child do I like the best? I should be asking you guys the same question when you have your new one arrives. I, I think actually, I, I know the answer to this one. The, the, my strangest one is quite a recent one. Um, so back in 1982, you know, I've said we've been in that year many times tonight. Um, uh, E.T. came out, and I was living in England in a little town called Thorpley Soken. Very strange little town, and I lived in a and lived in a house that was 13th century, really old. It's haunted as well, but that's another story. Um, and I used to I used to get one pound fifty pocket money. I used to run up to Lipton's, which is like a supermarket grocery store at the top of the top of the high street. I can see it now, and I used to go in the door, and on the left hand side there was. Um, all the crisps, sorry, chips, all the crisps and chips. Um, and they Nabisco used to make an ET biscuit, uh, cookie, uh, a bit like an Oreo or a, or a, a bourbon to the, to the Brits listening, where you would get, you know, two biscuits and sandwiched between it would be a cola flavored cream. And these biscuits were colored green, brown, and orange, and they'd be different colors. So you'd get a pack of three, a green one, an orange one, and a brown one with cola cream. And inside, you got a free trading card. And there were 12 to collect. And I remember discovering this because it was a silvery packet. And I used to like, oh, silver, like a magpie. I was like, oh, what's that? And it was the first collection I completed, those 12 cards. I spent so much money and ate ate so many of these blooming, disgusting, but delicious (laughs) cola cream oreo type biscuits and uh, so i finished the collection and anyway so i i still have those cards and years and years and years pass and i go and i can still smell um the cola cream even when i'm talking about it i'm, I'm very kind of i have a very uh, uh attuned a factory system and i can smell it and um i was like oh, i'm gonna look for i'm gonna look for the wrapper i'm gonna try and find a wrapper on ebay for that and i looked and i looked and i looked and blow me 
it was probably about four or five weeks ago, maybe, I found an unopened packet of those biscuits at 38 years old. Ugh. And I paid a ridiculous amount of money for them. But I got so that's and I got it and I got it sitting on my ET shelf. And they don't smell like cola, I can tell you that for nothing. Um, but they're intact, they're a bit crumbly, um, and the silver's flaking off the packet. But that is probably one of the most emotional things I've ever opened uh, and kind of like had it in my hand. And the sound of the, you know, it's crinkly and silvery. And I saw the biscuits and the color. And I just remember it took me, took me straight back. It's a bit like, um, well, in Ratatouille, you know, when ego, uh, ego eats the Ratatouille at the end, and he's like transported back to his childhood. That was one of those. So that's pretty much strangest. Cause when I say, Oh yeah, I got a packet of 38 year old biscuits, uh, in my, uh, in my collection. So there's your answer. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> that I, you awesome. know, you posted the picture of it and I, I saw it. I liked it. I think I might've even commented on it from our account and I was going to bring it up when I brought up the light up finger at the top of the show, but I had a sinking suspicion. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the- I had a light up finger, that would probably be my strangest one, but that's a little bit too strange. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, one of the, one of the things that I have to say, you know, with the, the, the rise in popularity of the great British baking show on, on Netflix and everything, I think yeah. that like, the term biscuits and like, you know, all, all of the, the, uh, the British colloquialisms for, for, uh, for food items. I think they're, they're kind of working their way into the, the American vernacular now. I don't have to keep checking myself and kind of re- reiterating things in a different way. That's cool. My, my five-year-old calls everything stodgy now. So I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's a little stodgy, daddy. Yeah. Yeah, she'll tell me that things have soggy bottoms or that they're stodgy. So, you know, thank you, Paul Hollywood. <laughs> You're bringing her up well, I tell you. Makes my life easier not having to explain everything. Well, there are some colloquialisms that I do have to explain. People just look at me blankly when I'm saying something, <laughs> but there we are. Uh, Steve, well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight. Before we let you go, um, please, if there's anything that you want to plug, I know you have an awesome giveaway going on right now. Uh, uh, let everybody know about that, where we can find you on Instagram. Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm I'm personally giving away two. I'm giving away one, either a Sentinel or a Razor Crest from a HasLabs. It's my own, so I purchased it myself. It's not backed by Hasbro or anyone like that. I just, this time of year, I just like to kind of try and get people talking about the good things that other people are doing or, or the difficult times that other people are doing. So this is about um, finding someone that deserves, deserves our thanks or deserves our encouragement. And if you visit my Instagram uh, page at, at Mr. Stevie 18, that's one eight. Um, and you can find out all about it. I'm kind of collecting nominations. You can't nominate yourself. That would be naughty. You can nominate other people that you feel deserve it. And I'll, I'll kind of personally choose 10 that I think are, um, have have meaning or sing to me, and then I'll randomize one of those people to win either a a sentinel or a razor crest. But the rules, rules, the the you know the, the sort of how to do it is all on my web, all on my Instagram site, everywhere, everywhere you look, you can't get away from it. But um, uh, that that gets drawn on uh, the twenty fourth of December, so you've got plenty of time, and uh, there are some great stories there, and it's just very heartwarming to um, hear about people's troubles but also how people are owning their troubles and how people are rising above their troubles or people that you know selfishly just um selflessly even (laughs) slip selflessly kind of give their time and effort and there are some incredible people that are being nominated and it's um 
just heartening that in this in this time of difficulty that there there are people that still there's good out there there's there is good i know it's sometimes it's hard to see with everything that's going on but um no, it is good and if i can do a tiny little thing to give back to that then uh, then then i then i will well, we will also do our part and and share uh, the information about that giveaway and and continue to do so until until the drawing. So you know, we'll, we'll do you. what we can to help you out. Cheers, man. I appreciate it. And with that, Steve, thank you again for joining the show. Uh, you have a great night. Thank you, yes, Dave. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Eric, listen, it's been great chatting, and and best of luck with the uh, with the birth of your new one. And uh, you know, I wish you all the best. Thank you, dear listener, for hanging out with us today. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen, and then tell your friends to do it. Thanks also to Joe Azari, the golden voice behind our intro. Our music is Game Boy Horror by the Zombie Dandies. Find more about them both on our show notes. Follow us on social media at AIC underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stop by and say hi. Show us your toy hauls and share your toy stories. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Don't try this at home. Voidware prohibited and some assembly required. Each sold separately, not a flying toy. Consult a physician if your toy run exceeds more than four hours. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.